Odeshi the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast Episode 7 If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneurs across Africa. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for tuning in to the show. We've been on a wild roller coaster ride and this is episode 7. So don't forget to go to our website and sign up for the book giveaway. We're giving out two books. The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph, and Choose Yourself by James Altucher. So those books are really, really great. We've received a lot of emails and comments about them. So if you want the opportunity to win, please leave your emails on our website. In addition, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. We're now one of the top 100 new podcasts on iTunes. That's right, one of the top 100 new and noteworthy podcasts on iTunes. So please help us stay on the top of the charts, and obviously we want to get to the number one spot. So do help us out by clicking on iTunes and entering your reviews and your comments. Thank you, and now a word from our sponsors before we get on with the rest of the show. Are you stuck in a dead-end job? Or looking to change careers? If that's the case, I've got great news for you at Njoka.com. Njoka.com is Africa's fastest growing job search engine and aggregator that helps job seekers in Africa find employment opportunities in the locations nearest to them. You can browse jobs by category and location in real time. No more applying to outdated job postings or convoluted application processes. Join the millions who've used Njoka.com to start their career journey and change their lives. Go to Njoka.com. That's N-J-O-R-K-U.com. The future is only a click away. Hi, guys. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to the show. Today's guest is Churchill Mambe Nanje. He's the founder of the Afrovision Group and Njoka.com, based out of Buya, Cameroon. He's a self-taught programmer who, at the age of 19, decided that he did not want to go to college, but would rather get hands-on job training experience. After two years of working on his own and teaching, Churchill founded the Afrovision Group, and then subsequently, due to a problem he was facing in terms of recruiting for his company, decided to start Njoko.com. Today, Njoko.com helps millions of Africans find jobs in the locations nearest to them. Churchill, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, I'm Churchill. Um, I'm a young software developer, or maybe old, I will say old or young, I don't know. <laughs> software developer in Boya, Cameroon. I'm self-taught. I learned how to write software, web applications, mobile applications. In fact, develop any form of software from the cyber cafes that we have lurking around Moliko. Moliko is a small um, quarter in Boya. It's like a small area, a student area in Boya. Okay. And I have lived here for the past 10 years. And I learned how to, I started learning how to code 10 years ago. And I was visiting the cybers, helping the cyber attendants um, to do their job. I said, hey, guy, please, let me just do your job so I have access to your computer and the internet. You get paid at the end of the month. I don't care about that. I just want to have access to this computer and this internet. And they were always like, okay, this young man doesn't know what he's doing. He's just crazy here. Why would somebody want to work for me for, like, for no pay? Um, but they didn't know I was trying to learn something, visit online forums like, like uh, 
Kirupa forums, actionscript.org forums, and learn how to write arrays, how to write loops, what are variables, what are collections, and all those things I decided to keep learning because I saw that other people had done it in the West and they had changed their communities with the skills they learned just with the computers and computer programming. And I realized since we have internet in Africa, I can use the internet to level the playing field and it wouldn't matter if I'm in Boya or in San Francisco. If I write this code, the world can get to use it or my people can get to use it and it, it can be something worthwhile. So that's, that's how I got that. That's a little much about me and my career. Was it very easy to acquire the skills and the knowledge from these forums? Well, I will say with the help of Google, you can find anything. Okay. If you know the tricks of Google, you know how Google works. You can do just about anything. So I'll go on Google and just say I'm looking for a tutorial about arrays, maybe when I'm studying arrays. Okay. So I'll find tutorials, read about arrays and study them. It's maybe sorting arrays, maybe looping through arrays. Uh, or maybe how to build a simple contact form. I'll go online, learn how to do it, how to install PHP, MySQL, LAMP, and all those. So I was just looking for tutorials by tutorials. I was, it was self-paced, and I guided myself through it, and it took a lot of discipline. I get up from, money, from, I get up from bed, I freshen up, I go to the cyber like I have a job. I sit there the whole day till evening, then I go back home just so I could get to, to study. So I wouldn't say there was some particular e-learning platform I was using because mm-hmm. they, weren't, they weren't really available by that time. But I did almost the same thing, but I guided myself. Like, I'll get books. I look at the topics in the books. I follow it systematically. I was fortunate that I did sciences in high school, so I, I followed it systematically. And I will study day by day and assess myself and try to do things. Till two years later, I was comfortable writing software. And I started teaching in a local institution here. And a couple of years later, I left the institution to start my own business. And that's the journey so far. Oh, okay. So let's talk about um, the first business you started, which is Afrovision. Tell us a little bit about that. <coughs> Afrovision Group, the reason that I started when I was teaching at so the Trustec Institute of Technology. I was teaching computer repairs. I was taking computer repairs classes, like training people in computer repairs and maintenance. And alongside, I was training people in building web applications with PHP and MySQL. So a couple of people around the institution saw that I had skills in building websites, and most of them needed my services. So they started contacting me to build small software, small websites. Then I realized, okay, I can actually quit this job and focus on starting a small company that can be rendering this service around Cameroon and Africa, even to the West, like outsourcing. And that's how I started Afrovision Group Limited in 2006. Oh, okay. And you started the company in 2006. How did you get your first clients? Well, I started, before I even started the company, I already had my clients. Like I said, I was teaching at the local institution, and the students voted me twice as the best teacher there. And a lot of people around got to know, see this 19-year-old young man teaching in an institution, and all the students love him. But the students... These are students who their parents are computer inclined. They have sent them to a computing institution. So the students will tell their parents, hey, we have this young guy who is doing amazing things and he learned everything on his own. He's teaching us. So they'll be like, 
we need a website for my company. Can we? Can you call him to do it for us? Then I'll go and do it for them and things like that. So it was mostly referrals. Okay. Before I started the company, I already had a, a small client base of maybe five to ten clients. Okay, so you had a small client base, and then you started scaling up. You started the company. What you, did you start? doing some outsourcing business where you were get, getting clients from overseas? Yeah. Um, but normally, when business starts, it's difficult. When I focus on business 100%, means all my all my earnings were coming from the business, and it was really difficult. But, yeah, we, did, we had local clients, and over time, most of these students I was teaching at the institution, at Trustec, um, travel overseas and they got to know people out there and they told them, hey, I know Chashu can do this job for you in Cameroon. And that's how I started getting referrals to out of Cameroon and getting jobs to, to develop basic web applications, websites, for clients around the world. Wow, so basically your students became your built-in marketing force that went across the globe to, to sell your business for you. Um, yeah, that was, the, that was one part. The next part is Boya Moliko, the area I told you about, where I live, where, I, where the business is based right now, is a student environment. Okay. The, the lone Anglo-Saxon university, state university in the country, like the, the you know Cameroon is French and English. Yes. We're in the English part of Cameroon. So the English, the biggest English university is here in Boya. And you know Silicon Valley was built around universities, tech companies, and people. So, uh, and also the, the nearness to the market. But here, these students to, at the university got to know who I was, what I'm doing, and they got close to me. And most of them get to leave Boya and go and work in companies out of Boya. And when they're in those companies, whenever something comes up like, hey, we need a website, we need something technology, we say, oh, we have this guy in Boya. And since he's in Boya, he can do affordable systems, and we really trust him. So students too in the university, which... Uh, we, the university which graduates like 5,000 to 10,000 students every year get to go out there and become like um, ambassadors for my venture, telling people, hey, there's this guy here, you can work with him and all that. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So you're doing this company for a couple years, and then what happened? How did you uh, <coughs> come about founding Njoku? Okay, um, in 2010, while I was developing software for um, a client in Canada, it's actually Nigerian, Uche Chuta, he's now based in Abuja. I was building Vault Noir for him. While I was developing this system, I realized um, it's I wanted to hire somebody else to come and Right to come and join the team because the work was really hectic. I was coding it alone. The other developers I had were busy on other things. So, in the midst of me developing software, I didn't have the time to put into proper recruitment where you have to send out um, information on a job, get candidates, uh, interview them, and all that. So I said, "Wow, if there was a software where I could just take two minutes, I post the job, I sit, and the software would do all the work for me, and I just come back and I realize I see the best people, and I just hire them. Which means I post the job today, and in two days' time, I hire the best first guy, and I'm sure the person will do the job. He just joins the team and starts working with me. This would be very good for me. And instantly, I said, "This is a great idea." So that's how I came about Joku. And along, over the years, I also saw a lot of people that visited some of my community 
community sites are built around here. I built a site for, you know, for students here in, in the community, the university students, a website where they could go and find news and all that. Once in a while, we post jobs there, and they were very, very interested. Some people applied on jobs that were like two years old. So I realized, wow, people really want to use the Internet to apply for jobs, but they just don't know where, and they don't have uh, a, a platform where they could get to discover the most recent job. So whatever job they just see, they just apply. So I wanted to bring a bit of order in that process. So this also is the second reason why I pushed Njoku. And in 2011, we released the first version of Njoku. That was in January, which was a bit buggy. We had to rewrite it and launch it in March. And that's it. Then the story continues from there. Oh, okay. So you released the first version, your version one. How did yeah. uh, candidates find Njoku? No, the first version release was not for the public. It wasn't even for, nobody saw it in, oh, 2000, okay. in January 2011. What people got to see was in March 2011. The first version was for us to test our code, test our algorithms, ensure that everything is working right, and also to talk to some existing industry partners, how they can partner with us or if they can acquire our technology, things like that. But most the ones we talk with turn us down, but the other ones just said, well, it's a good idea, and, well, we went ahead and launched it in 2011. But the, in March, sorry, we went ahead and launched it in March, but the version we released in, two, in January was just a private version. It, it wasn't for the public. It was to test the market, to test the algorithms, to ensure that we have something like a private beta. Yeah. Oh, okay, kind of like a private beta, okay. And did you have yeah, any yeah. co-founders while you were doing this project? Yeah, when I, when I started, I was alone, but over time I got to incorporate, like when I launched in January 2011, I talked with my friend in America who was also a partner in AfroVision Group. He had his own technology company in America, in Maryland. He was getting clients there, and we were developing the products here in Cameroon. So I told him, hey, yeah, we're doing consulting, it's paying the bills, but if we do something that's more scalable, we might have a small team, but we have millions of clients. So, because it's scalable, high-scale, large-scale large computing mm -hmm. and all that. So, he bought into the idea from day one, and he was the person that started buying the servers, because from day one, we needed dedicated servers, and this cost money. So, he bought the servers and did some investment in marketing and a bit of business development okay. to get the business rolling till we started getting other investors. Oh, okay. So um, you said you got other investors. Huh? Were they institutional investors or family and friends? Did you raise um, private equity or venture oh. capital funding for Njoku is what I'm getting at? Okay. Well, the first, the first investor, like I said, was my friend in America. Yes. The second and third investors were business guys in France and Canada. They were not really into investment. I did work with them, and they realized that, oh, when, I, when I'm working with them, I'm very, very diligent. I am hardworking. I push. I always look at perfection and ensure that we deliver. And so they, they always get to like me. So when I introduced them that I'm doing this side project that might be something big, they were interested and they decided to invest. But uh, last year, let's say November last year, we got investment from an institutional venture capital, but they are more into seed funding. They are also in Canada. Oh, and nice. they are a, a team of guys that have started successful 
um, internet companies that have making millions of dollars annually, and they are trying to look at investing in young startups in Africa. Oh, okay. So the Hadnam Tema Inc., Hadnamtema.com. So they, they invested, or with that, our first institutional investor who came in last year. And we're looking right now at the follow-up round to keep developing the technology and growing and helping Africans find jobs and helping other people in the world to find jobs in Africa. Oh, okay. And how did this investment come about? Did you pitch or did they come across your platform through media, some other type of... Oh, well, this institutional investor, I went to... Well, there's a platform called vcforafrica.biz. I don't know if you know the platform. Okay, vcforafrica, yes, I've heard of it. vcforafrica.biz, yeah. vcforafrica was built by ex-employees of mine, some young guys here in Boya. Oh, you wow. work with a friend, a friend and close collaborator, Bill Zimmerman, who is like a co-founder of VC for Africa Beast. So the guys behind VC for Africa Beast, I've worked with them before in 2008. We built a platform sponsored by the U.S. Embassy Village Diary. So now, when they release new products on VC for Africa, they always like to talk to people they already know to test the platform. So they released a mentorship platform on VC for Africa last year, like early last year. So they pitched it to me and all the other young startups here in Boya that you guys can try this out, see if, tell us about Box and all that. So I went there and posted that I'm looking for business development mentors. So it's, it's a, they launched a mentorship marketplace where a free mentorship marketplace, you have a startup in Africa. You go there, you post the kind of mentorship you're looking for. Mentors around the world that are interested in Africa will come and see your pitch and do propose that they want to mentor you, you accept them and they start mentoring you. So I went there, I just said, okay, let me post this because it was a need. Business development, marketing sales, how do we get to do all that because I'm from a technical background. And I forgot about it. There was even a bug in the software time. So I had two mentors from Europe and from Canada who proposed to mentor me. But for like two weeks, I had not seen that they had proposed to mentor me because the software had a little glitch that did not deliver email notification to notify me that I had interested mentors. So one of the people, the team members, like the, the operations team of Visit for Africa, sent me a mail questioning why I haven't responded to the mentors, that it's kind of rude. I should go there, either accept or reject. Well, I went there and I saw interesting guys. I accepted. One of them was a partner at Handam Tema Inc. in Canada. So we talked... We, we connected and he got on Skype. We talked for a couple of months and he realized that the venture was a nice one. That's how they got to invest. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. That's good. So you got this investment and you built up the platform. So what was the reception like for the uh, candidates using the platform? Yeah, um, a lot of people are very happy. They, they send us congratulations, e- congratulatory emails every day. They contact us on Facebook every day, thanking us, trying to also give us ideas on how to make it better. But generally, we have thousands upon thousands of users daily, and they're very, very comfortable, and they like our service. And when the service fails to work, because from time to time it fails to work, they always come crying like, why am I, why is it not happening? Why is this not happening? Please, you guys, to, to ensure that it works, because we really depend on this service. And I get a lot of people that know me call me and say, hey, my friend just saw this job on your platform. And I was telling her that I know you and she was saying it's a lie and things like that. I said, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, people like service and all that. Okay. And how did you convince um, companies to post 
jobs on your platform? Well, actually, right now, we don't yet offer the service of companies to post jobs on our platform. Okay. But we have the service of an employer's platform where companies register, and we are going to have an endless array of recruitment solutions that are highly geared for the African market. We are doing a lot of market research right now. We are doing a lot of development right now for products and services. But for now, we offer them free access to our CV database. But before they can access our CV database and contact any person there, we have to verify that they are legitimate. So we, okay. we review and approve every account. So we have almost a thousand companies and counting, and we have like five new companies every day. But what's happening is they go there, they find candidates, they contact them. All of this is free for them. We are going to have paid services, but for now we are focusing on growth. We are focusing on building a community. We are focusing on building products that people would like to use, like their toothbrush every day. Okay. Uh, Tools that people see that's a necessity, like electricity and water. So we, when we get to the point, and our investors are patient, they are always like, okay, look, let's not focus on the revenues for now. Yeah. We know how we can make the revenue, because when people love it, we'll make revenue. But for now, let's focus on growth and building and making things that people will love to use, like I said, like their toothbrush daily. So, yeah, that's our focus right now. Okay, so your focus is growth right now. And yeah. what the jobs that candidates apply to, does that mean your system crawls the web for recent job postings and pulls it up so that ca- candidates can apply to those jobs since the okay. employers are yeah, not directly is, posting on yeah. the platform? Most people don't get right. Exactly like you said, we are a vertical search engine, meta okay. search engine. Okay. We are like Google, but our focus is we identify only pages that are jobs on the internet. Okay. and jobs in Africa, and we index them. So our engine runs exactly like Google.com, okay. but we are limited just to jobs in Africa. And so after you build this platform, you know, you're offering the services fleet free to candidates and to employers. Um, tell us about some of the challenges that Njoku faced in, in starting up this venture. Yeah, like uh, like every other thing, the first challenge we're facing or we've been facing is that of recruitment, hiring people in Africa, finding the top talent, finding the best people qualified for the job. So the problem Joko is solving, Joko is also facing it. But by the time Joko is done solving it, nobody else will face it. That's what we're trying to do. The second problem is finding uh, having access to capital. But like I said, with platforms like VC for Africa or with people like SPAC in Nigeria or with a lot of venture capital interests in Africa, or yeah, <clears throat> a lot of people now are looking at investing in Africa. So the second problem we are facing, which was access to capital from the early days, is getting to a point where it's not a problem anymore. Because I see people like 440.ng launched in Nigeria recently, uh, Leadpad. Oh, there are a lot of venture funds rising in Africa, and very soon there will be a lot of money chasing few few competent people, and every other person, as long as you're competent, as long as you do the right thing, you'll be able to have access to capital, because people will want to invest because the opportunity is big. So yeah, the challenges are faced are one, finding people, because my business is based on people, human capital. Yeah. Finding people to write the software I need, to develop the system, to, to do the research, to come up with products that are directly um, targeted towards our market. 
because nobody has done this before. We have to see how our market will react. We can't just take models from the West and bring them here because it's not the same market. And so we have to do a lot of research. We need a lot of human capital. And this was our main challenge, which we are solving gradually because within Joko itself, we are using it now to find other top talents to recruit and fill the roles we, where we have gaps. And so it was human capital and financial capital. Okay. Yeah. Those are the challenges we face. But apart of that, in Boya, we have stable electricity. In Boya, we have a good climate. It's above near the Mount Cameroon. So if the altitude is high, it's always cold. And living here is not like Douala. Douala is more like Lagos. It's not like Douala. So it's, it's, it's affordable to live here. And there's a talent pool just across like the University of Boya, which I said is a lone Anglo-Saxon university. Mm-hmm. So I will say, a part of the human capital part and the financial capital, the rest is easy because I actually live like 400 meters away from the office. So I walk to the office, I walk, I go back home even at 3 a.m. It's safe to live in Boya. It's secure to live here in Boya. So I have no other challenges. I don't have traffic jam challenges or the, the, the stress on the road or electricity failing me and things like that. No. Wow. So that means your operating costs must be lower compared to other tech yeah, companies our and other parts Oh, wow. Yeah, our operating cost here in Boya is very low. That is why we can continue operating without looking at revenue. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, we can scale and grow and, and keep pushing. It's almost just like Facebook did. They pushed and pushed and pushed without focusing on monetizing. They were monetizing on the side, yeah, but you have to focus to build something people love and then you can think of monetizing. I believe in that theory. But most people think in Africa it's not a good theory, but I believe in it and so far, it's been working for us, so there's nothing else I can say. Okay. And that leads me to one thing that has been coming up uh, as a recurring theme with other founders I've talked to, and that is the human capital challenge. Is that as a function of the universities not teaching the adequate skill sets that graduates need to operate in today's job market, or what? Well... I wouldn't blame the universities because universities never teach you everything. Even in the U.S., I know universities don't teach people. Mark Zuckerberg didn't learn how to write code or build a company from Harvard. Bill Gates never did either. Steve Jobs left school. Larry and Sergey did PhD in computing, but it didn't teach them how to grow a multinational company. So I believe the problem is our, our, how would I put it, maybe culture or maybe the way we... We were brought up. We knew that, look, if you are in Cameroon or in Africa, you need to go to school. And after school, you are guaranteed a job. That particular belief is what is the problem. Okay. Because if we know that when you go to school, you need to be able to use what you learn in school in the market or have developed skills from what you learn in school to do something worthwhile in the market, that is where the solution will come from. Most people just believe if you have a degree, you, you have to get a job. If you don't have a job, the country is a bad country. Oh, wow. So the model inherently is kind of broken in the sense of the fact that it just conditions people to get their degree. So people study, study, study. And I've heard this many, many times. People study, try to get um, a first class or what we call summa cum laude, which is top of the class in school. And then once you have the piece of paper, your degree, you just automatically expect a job. 
Yeah, that's what happens. So at times when I, after high school and I said, I'm not going to the university, a lot of my friends were laughing at me. I was saying, like, just look at this guy, he's lazy, he's running away from book work, he's frustrated. They didn't understand. But after a year, I got a job and they were still in school. So some of them realized and left school and traveled to study computing. Others stayed there, but yeah, that's the story. So the issue is our culture states that you have to go to school, get a degree, and then you have a job. When actually people believe in this, but we have to educate them that, hey, when you have a degree, it's one thing. It's good, yeah? It, it means that you are educated. It means your IQ, like you know a lot of things about life, but you need to be able to grow skills that are employable. You need to have skills that skills. people can pay you for. But you didn't go through the same process. What, what motivated you to avoid going to university? Because you must have faced the same cultural challenges as everyone else. Your friends were laughing at you saying you didn't want to go to school. How did you convince your parents, first of all, that you didn't want to go to university and you just wanted to learn on the job? Well, it wasn't easy convincing my parents, uh, not till maybe after five years of me doing my business, that they were really convinced. And maybe when they started seeing me supporting the family financially, that is when they had to stop making noise. But I believed in what I was doing. I was convinced this is the way out for me. And I, I, was, I, I always believed in myself from day one. Even when I was in school, People were always against me, but I always believed in myself. So I knew that I couldn't be wrong now. I was never wrong before. I couldn't be wrong. I was motivated. I was very, very devoted to do this. What happened is, after high school, I've seen a lot, I had seen a lot of guys go to universities and go back home and have no jobs and things like that. So that pushed me to rethink the, the whole process. I was like, okay. People, I've seen this very smart guy. He has, he, I knew him in school. When I was in school, he was ahead of me. He was very, very smart. He was always honor rules. He was always the top in his class. But he went to school and came back, and he was still in school, and I was just struggling. But I expected that in, the, in this our society, somebody like that was supposed to be very, very well to do. So I realized there was something, there was a problem. I decided to leave high school and spend one year at home to think and tr- learn something practical and think about what I'll be doing after that one year. And when I have something practical, even if I decide to go to school after the year, I'll have something that I'll be doing to make money to sustain me while I was going to school so that I won't have to call my mom if I need shoes or if I have to shave my hair and things like that. But little did I know that during this one year, I'll get introduced to so many things that would just make me stop thinking about school at all. Then I got introduced to things like Google, things like Yahoo, Things like um, uh, Microsoft, Apple. Then Facebook was not really that popular in Africa. I didn't know anything about Facebook till mm-hmm. 2007. But yeah, this, so when I got their stories, I said, oh, okay, it means I'm already on the track. I won't go to school anymore. <laughs> and, after, <laughs> and after one year, um, the institution I was, uh, I, I was teaching offered to employ me. And I took the job knowing that I'll be studying. This one, my family was in support. I'll be studying while teaching and when i decided to quit that too to start my business my family went back to the whole story oh you're getting crazy what's happening with you <laughs> you're supposed to be a doctor why why are you just doing all this madness look we need to call a pastor to come and pray on your head and <laughs> things like that that the demon has entered you things i don't understand <laughs> yeah <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the, the, the whole. That's what helped me. It, it was that one year of uh, 
when I took a sabbatical from school, just to understand, to learn something practical that could sustain me while I go to school. Then I got rather introduced to many things. I just said, wow, the part is not school. This is what I will have to do. So, yeah, I was lucky to take that one year off. And I didn't know. It was just by chance. By chance, okay. Yeah, and I discovered things along the way. And that is what is being um, kind of promoted now. Because I don't know if you've heard of Peter Thiel. He was one of the co-founders of PayPal. He's actually paying people not to go to school. But instead, to oh, start their his one hundred thousand dollar um, venture yeah. where he gives yes. the young guy to job out and okay. Yeah, there's another thing. Entrepreneurship cannot be institution institutionalized. I always tell people that the fact that it works for Mark Zuckerberg doesn't mean if you do it for everybody, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be uh, a devotion from within the person, and what works for A will never, must not, or will not always work for B. So you can't say because it works for A, it works for B, C, and D. B have to carve their own part. C have to carve their own part. D. Some people need to go to the universities so that they can get a job. Some don't need to go there so that they can start their own company. It's it's an, it's a whole supply. It's like a supply chain system where there is demand and supply. Of, in fact, it's supposed to be a dynamic equilibrium. Some people don't go to school, start companies. Others go to school to support those that started companies that do not go to school so that they can have um, successful economies and successful industries. Yeah. Mm, well, I, can, I, I can hire people that didn't go to school because they have skills. But the business is run by people that went to school. I didn't go to school, but the people that really do the job also went to school. But if I, didn't, if I went to school, I wouldn't have the time to start early so that they, when they leave school, they join me. But if they didn't go to school, I wouldn't have people to call and join me to grow the business, you see? So I wouldn't be against school. Yes. Because I'm pro skills. I'm pro people getting skills. Always ensure you get education and get your skills. So any way you get your skills, as long as you're getting your skills, that's the main yeah. thing. Okay, that's interesting. Because your skills will save you wherever. If I am dropped in Palo Alto right now or in San Francisco or in Australia or maybe in Hong Kong or in South Korea, Wherever, even if I go with just my T-shirt and jeans and sneakers, as I get there within maybe three days, I will start writing codes for somebody and making money because I have the skills. That's a very interesting perspective, Churchill. But let's take a minute to thank our sponsors and then let's get on with the rest of the interview. Are you stuck in a dead-end job or looking to change careers? If that's the case, I've got great news for you at Njoka.com. Njoka.com is Africa's fastest growing job search engine and aggregator that helps job seekers in Africa find employment opportunities in the locations nearest to them. You can browse jobs by category and location in real time. No more applying to outdated job postings or convoluted application processes. Join the millions who've used Njoka.com to start their career journey and change their lives. Go to Njoka.com. That's N-J-O-R-K-U.com. The future is only a click away. Now close your eyes and repeat after me. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. But guess what, guys? You can still find a home away from home if you go to jovega.com. Jovega.com is a leading hotel booking platform with over 5,000 hotels across Nigeria. So, whether you're visiting friends or attending a special event, you can be rest assured knowing that you'll find a nice place to get a good night's rest. Go to jovega.com. That's J-O-V-A-G-O.com for more details. That brings me to one other interesting thing I heard about you 
and which is when you started your company, um, it seemed that you were calling everyone, even your staff, uh, co-founders and partners. They all had a kind of stake from what I heard. I don't know if this is factual. But um, the, tech, the tech community, especially the larger tech community that I've been in touch with, were, they were all like deriding you saying, oh, in Joker, everybody's a co-founder, this and that. Is that actually an, a factual statement? And why did you decide to do that if it is? Yeah, when I started, right, you know, the best way to make somebody work when you don't really have the kind of money, the kind of um, opportunity, like, is it opportunity cost? Yeah, it's opportunity cost, scale of preference. You don't have the kind of money that the other companies could pay them from day one. The best thing you can do is make them be part of the business. When Zuckerberg started, everybody that was working with him was a co-founder. Everybody. I don't think there were like five or six people. All of them had equity. Even if you have 0.1% equity, you are a co-founder. Mm-hmm. So that's what I saw in it, and I pushed it forward. It doesn't affect the business in any way. What's important is users, not if everybody's a co-founder or not what everybody in the tech ecosystem is talking about. Mm. The only thing that's important is what the job seeker and the recruiters think because they're the ones keeping us here. Yeah. If they say something negative, I react. If they say something positive, I react. If the community is saying something negative, positive, if it will affect them using my services, then I'll react. But this is about company structure and the organigram. It's nothing to do with the product or the service. If this is the way we took to get the product ready for the market, then bingo, it has worked for us. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. So, yeah, that's, what the, that's actually factual. From the beginning, we did that. But right now, we, we, we have had um, financial backing, so we are not doing that anymore because... We can't go on like that, else we delete the whole company and nobody owns anything. <laughs> yeah, I see. Talk to us about the state of competition in your industry. I know there are a few other large job search portals like Jobberman out of Nigeria, maybe one more or two more. Um, what's your competition like? Hello? Hello. Well, yeah, I'm here. Uh, our competitors are not yet in Africa. That's what I was saying. Okay. Explain. Could you explain mm-hmm. further? Yeah. Yeah. Um, job, in as much as job a man, um, OP, uh, Dej want to think they're competing with Jobu, right? They are really not competing with us because we are machines. We aggregate. We can have, we can be a one person team and we serve our clients. We are not a job board. We are a search engine, a vertical search engine. Okay. So we build technology. What we sell is technology. What they sell or what they focus on is content. I focus on the technology that helps people find the content. So it's two different approaches to the same problem. But we, everybody has a market. I told you earlier, there are one billion people in Africa. These one billion people have, um, are supposed to be looking for a career path. So we have a market of 1 billion people, or maybe let's look at Nigeria. There are 160 million, 60-something million people in Nigeria. Um, These 160 million people need to be guided professionally. Whatever you offer to them, they will take. And job services are free. So some job man services are free. Some inside-the-five services are free. What stops the user from using all the services? Nothing. So 
why are we focusing on competition instead of helping them find jobs? Okay, yeah, the the so, pie is big well, enough for everyone to. Yeah, so the, the my focus is helping people find jobs, and my my biggest challenge is how do I help them better than I helped them yesterday? So every day I keep improving, regardless of what my the other people are doing. But like I said, we are focused on technology. They are focused on content. We build technology. My, I think I, all I, when I get off from bed, all I'm thinking about is distributed systems, large-scale computing. How did Amazon get to build their cloud? How did Google get to handle billions of searches a day? That is what I think about. And are, you, Not, and are you building those type of systems, large-scale distributed yeah, systems? Yeah, we are building such systems right now. So I'm not getting off on bed and saying that, hey, how am I going to kill Joberman? No, I want Joberman to flourish because the more they flourish, the more I flourish because that is what the market wants. They are creating a market and we, we, we all of us, whatever we're doing, we are going towards helping. If my focus is to help the job seekers, so whoever is helping job seekers is in line with me. Investors won't think the same, but yeah, they have their point of views. But what I see is if we help people find jobs, we are going to be in business because people will need us. Yes. And I mean, the, the population itself just lends credibility to that statement. We have in Nigeria alone, I know they say somewhere in the neighborhood of two to four million people graduate every year. And those people, yeah. those people need jobs. I don't know the statistics in Cameroon, but... I mean, it's, it's the same across the board all over Africa. Africa is pretty much a young continent, so people coming out of schools will always need jobs, will always need somewhere to go to earn a living or even something to think about if they want to do their own thing. So this sharing of the pie by all the competitors makes a lot of sense. So Churchill, we're beginning to wind down the interview. Let's talk... Um, about advice. So you've you started your company at 19. You have a very untraditional path that you used to build your two companies. If a young graduate were to come out of the university today, what advice would you give to that person if they're thinking of starting their own venture? Okay. The first advice I'll give them is they should find their passion because passion covers everything. If you're not passionate about it, when it gets too tough, you are going to quit. So they should find their passion. When they, dis- when they identify this passion, they should be sure about it. Once they identify this passion, they should invest like one year into developing the skills that they require to harness this passion. My passion was to build web applications, software systems, just like the build in the West. That was my passion. I took two years in the cyber cafes just to learn how to build this thing so I have the skills to grow my passion. I have another passion in music. In 2011, no, 2012, I bought a piano. I started teaching myself how to play. Now I play a couple of sounds. It's a passion. So you need to identify your passion and you need to, second, harness the skills to, you need to grow the skills or learn the skills that will help you harness this passion. Then after that, you see how to turn it into a business. It will be a lot of trial and error, but if you have the skills to harness your passion, People will see your product and they'll be ready to pay for it or they'll be ready to use it even if it's for free. And over time, you can always make them pay for it. So this is what I advise them. They have to be persistent. They have to, to, to be patient. They have to be passionate. They have to expect failure. And they have to keep working very hard. So they should enjoy hard work. Yeah. And 
Could you give us some examples of some skills you think are very useful in today's situation? Yeah, there's some skills that people neglect, like um, tailoring. I don't know if that's how you know it out there. Tailoring, like people that make dresses. Mm -hmm. They call them designers. But if you want to be a designer, you should learn how to do tailoring. You need to learn how to use a sewing machine. But most people think that if you decide to go and learn how to use a sewing machine today, it means you are mundane, like you are you are retarded, you, you are stupid. But if people invest in making clothes, people always wear clothes. Other skills like carpentry, we have companies like IKEA selling woodwork, selling um, chairs, tables, and things that people buy worldwide for a lot of money. But we have wood in Africa, and we have people that have no jobs. What if they go and do carpentry and start their own workshops and then modernize it using technology like you have a website, you make your products and you market there, or you do normal marketing and you have accountants, salespeople and all that. You supply Africa with things they need at affordable rates and people will buy. So just the kind of skills that people are not looking at that are very, very simple to identify, but people are not looking at them. Okay, so not just um, high-touch technical programming skills, but also hard skills in terms of being able to design, make, and manufacture things with your hands based off the resources that are already readily available in the environment. Yeah, or maybe even something like going to, into agriculture, farming. When you, when you talk of farming in Africa, people think farming is going to farm and working with cutlass and things like that. But you can do farming with technology that, you 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 are an engineer maybe from a university you into engineering you have internet access internet access become becoming very affordable with maybe uh, twelve dollars in Cameroon you can have uh, six gigabytes of data from MTN Cameroon um, with an internet key that that will cost you like twenty dollars see so all you need is thirty dollars to start to have one month access to internet and after that all you need is twelve dollars to keep having internet six gigabytes every month so you can start a farm go online. Research how these things are done. Do a venture like every other venture. It mustn't be technology, but you can use technology to enhance a venture. Talk to partners. They supply you um, um, machines, that, like tractors and things like that, that will help you do farming. And in Cameroon, like my country, I don't know about other countries. In Cameroon, you don't pay taxes. Or if you pay any tax, you maybe pay a business license and your, your yearly earnings, uh, like your income tax. But you don't pay like the VAT and all that when you're doing farming. So people can get into farming, which is considered something very, very, something for the poor, and change it to become millionaires. Nobody, and people wouldn't believe how it happened, but it's there, the resources are there, the market is there. People want to buy food every day. The world is looking for food, so we can, and we have fertile lands here, we can grow them. Yeah. Oh, it's all about the concept. Having a skill, having a passion, going to it, using technology and the internet to learn more about it, implementing it, and non-stop learning and non-stop development, whatever you're doing, even in software, even in farming, even in carpentry, even in tailoring, you just have to keep learning how to better yourself every day so it doesn't become monotonous, and how to scale, because the whole world now is looking at scale. How do you scale your operations? But the principles are the same across, and you're going to hire accountants, you're going to hire marketing people, you're going to hire financial people. You can be a tailor, but you have marketing people, financial people, and people will be like, this is just a tailor. But yeah, at some point you stop even working 
on the tailoring machine and you just become like the CEO of a tailoring workshop. <laughs> you know, people don't see this that way, but this is these are some of the things we have to learn from the West and things we have to learn from Asia and we can apply in our communities. Okay, that's, that's great. And um, Churchill, I have a question for you, and that is um, you started out very early at age 19, teaching yourself how to code. You're now 29, you've been in this industry and you've been an entrepreneur for, let's call it 10 years. If you were to have a conversation with 19-year-old Churchill, what would you tell him to focus yeah. on? Um, I would tell him that he can do everything on his own. He should stop that mentality of thinking that he's going to be able to do everything alone. Because when I started off, that's what I was thinking. Everything I want to do by myself. But you have to work with people. So you have to learn how to delegate. You have to learn how to have a team of people working with you and all that, yeah. And give them functions and try to manage with, I was always focusing on technical and not the, the business or the team management efforts. But over time I got to learn that. I think that's the biggest advice I'll give to the young church. Okay. And what useful resources do your, one of the ultimate self-taught entrepreneurs in, in Africa that I know, so let's um, talk about some resources that you currently use to stay sharp, to stay at the top of your game right now. What books, you know, websites <coughs> and tools? Oh yeah. You use to... yeah, yeah. I I I was always a member. I was a member of ActionScript.org forums. There we it was a community of people around the world that were always uh, talking about ActionScript programming, ActionScript, which is object-oriented programming in the Flash framework. And so I use the forums. There is Kirupa forums. Kirupa, he was an MIT student that Microsoft hired to write a book on maybe front page or something. He was very young. I think he was like my age and he was at MIT and he wrote a book and he started his forums with hundreds of thousands of users. I was part of the members and every week or every day I'll go to those forums and try to see what people, people post questions and others post answers. When I look at the question, I see the answer, then I learn in the process. So I use Kirupa. In essence, what I'm saying is people can use online forums to learn from the community in that forum. Maybe if you want to learn how to play the piano, you can look for a forum of people that play the piano and you become a member and every day you visit them, post questions, answer questions. At the beginning, you won't be able to answer questions, but the, the more you start answering questions, that's when you start assessing that, hey, I'm getting good at this because if you, if you answer a question and you're not right, someone will correct you. And by the time you start getting most answers right, it means, oh, okay, I'm comfortable. I'm understanding this thing. So forums are very good. Google is always there to find tutorials. I, I use Google a lot to find my tutorials. Nowadays, people will say YouTube. I didn't use YouTube. was not on my time. But yeah, people can use YouTube to learn tutorials. Maybe you want to see how some people do, maybe how to how they assemble smartphones. You go to YouTube, you see a video that shows how to assemble or disassemble a smartphone, how to change a part in a smartphone, how to design your own smartphones. Well, just about anything. If you're doing architecture, you can go to YouTube and you find video tutorials for free. Yeah. I believe in the internet. I believe in the knowledge that's available on the internet. If you can know, if you know how to search, you find it, and if you know how to read, you understand it. That that's that's all that it takes. So, um, a lot of for me, what the things that help me, like I said, forums, and also Google search for tutorials. The other things so I, I used to always download free eBooks that help me 
study programming, study business, and all that. But the, the things that also pushed me to do what I'm doing. I used to hate Microsoft as a company because I'm an open source. I, I, was, an, I was always pro open source, technical. If you are really technical, you're going to have Microsoft as a company because of their locking and all that. But when I started looking business, or whenever I look business, I used to admire Bill Gates a lot because he's a good businessman. He knows how to do business. I don't really support all his ways, but yeah, I would say Bill Gates um, pushed me. Bill Gates was one of the people that actually I admired a lot because he started at a very young age, just like myself. He started at age 17. And also didn't go to bother about school. Larry Page and Sergey Brin of Google, I I really like their philosophies, like competing with yourself, the Jewish philosophy that they're pushing. Um, fast is better than slow. Don't be evil and things like that. So Larry Page, Sergey Brin, people that really um, help help mold me because. Every day I was on Google News, I created Google Alerts, Google News Alerts on, my, on Google from 2006, and every day I've been reading about what they're doing, and I was trying to understand why they're taking this step, even if they don't talk about it. I tried to understand my own way. Oh, why did they buy Android? The in 2005, I was like, why did they buy Android? Then when it came out, I was like, oh, okay, this was the reason why they bought Android and all that. So those things helped me a lot. And of course, I'm a Windows user. People say Mac, Mac, Mac. I, I use Microsoft Windows uh, for work. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Windows user. Don't, don't say that too loud. We're recording this interview on your Mac. I don't want it to shut down. Huh? Yeah, thought- I understand. I understand. <laughs> but I just believe that this is a tool. And if you have to keep it simple, I have been using Windows for, the, for most of my computing history. So why would I switch? It, it does not cause me any problem. I'm, I'm a minimalist. I use Windows. I don't install a lot of things. I install just what I need. My NetBeans, uh, my PHP, my SQL, my Dreamweaver, my, Fire, my Adobe Suite. I'm comfortable with all that. Or my Android SDK. But if I have to do iOS applications, I hire an iOS developer who will use a Mac. But yeah, I'm not saying I won't use a Mac, but I just don't consider it as an investment I'm ready to make right now. Okay. Yeah. That's... So uh, that, that just sums up the, the, the useful resources. Mostly Google, online forums, YouTube, um, tutorials, and books. But now I will advise people to go to places like, to be software developers, you have to go to places like Code, Code Academy, or Udemy, or all the other Audacity, and all the free um, platforms where you can get tutorials from MIT, tutorials from Stanford. Yeah, or just go to the Apache Software Foundation, they will have everything for you. Because Apache.org is a resource I use every day because it has a lot of tools that I need for my job. And I learn about their programs every day because this teach me a lot in computer science and where the world is moving towards. That's fantastic. So, Chacho, we've reached the uh, end of the show. I just wanted to say thank you for coming on board and sharing your story. We really, really learned a lot about you, about doing business in Africa, about technology, entrepreneurship. Now, before we go, I always try and ask one final question, and that is, is there any piece of advice at all that you think the listeners of this show that are thinking they want to start a venture in Africa. Um, maybe they are Europeans, Americans, Asians, Latin Americans, or anyone else for that matter. If they're thinking of, oh, you know, Africa looks like an interesting place for the next five, ten years. I'm thinking of maybe 
uprooting myself from where I am to come into Africa and set up something and give this entrepreneurship right a go. What's the one piece of advice that you would give somebody that's trying to start something new? You know, um, I'll say they should unlearn everything they know and come and start fresh in Africa. Okay. So they should come to Africa with the notion that they have to come and learn a lot of it, unlearn whatever they know, unlearn the same things in new ways and understand that in Africa, it's a different ballgame. It's like nothing they've ever seen before. But if you can make it in Africa, you can make it anywhere in the world because Africa is like the bottom of the hustle. So thanks a lot for coming on the show, Churchill. I really appreciate you spending the time with us to tell us your story and to tell us about your company. And obviously, we look forward to hearing from you in the near future. We'll talk about Njoku, how it's developing and growing. When you're making revenues, we want you to come back here and just, you know, continue to inspire our listeners out there. Yeah, of course. Sure. I won't mind. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy to have this opportunity and I want to thank you a lot for this because, you know, we can do everything we do down here. We can write the best software, but if nobody knows about it, it's worthless. The value is next to zero. So things like this is what helps us to keep doing it and adding value to whatever we're doing. And it, it inspires us and pushes the whole team and all the ecosystem down here to keep working hard and keep, keep going forward. It's somehow the media and the exposure helps motivate us further because at times it really gets tough. And that was Churchill Bambe Nanja, a very enterprising young man out of Cameroon who, through sheer grit, determination, and the will to succeed, created his own company by using free tools available to him and also bartering his services in exchange for computer time so he could learn on the job and then develop the skill sets required to start two major successful software companies. I guess my advice is this. If he can do it with limited tools in Africa 10 years ago before all the resources are available to us today, what's your problem? Really, what's your problem? Go make something happen. Get bulletproof. Um, don't forget to go back to the website at odeshi.com. That's O-D-E-S-H-I dot com. Or iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and the BlackBerry podcast uh, directory. Leave your comments, your questions for me, for Churchill, and we'll do our best to respond as quickly as possible. Your comments and your entries are your, your comments are your entries, I should say. For the giveaway, I'm giving away a handful of books, a handful, just a few copies, not many, of the, of the Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph by Ryan Holiday. And Choose Yourself by James Altucher. All right, till next time, guys. Cheers and get bulletproof. Odeshi, out. Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources, and we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.